This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hardman Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, and we're excited today. We have a conversation with Jeremy Stolnicker from the Situation Report podcast. I've been on Jeremy's show, and he was so kind as to join me for this episode. So we're going to jump into that in just a moment. Uh, we're very excited, by the way, next week. We've got the New Christendom Press Conference, June 8th through 10th in Ogden, Utah. We're going to be eating steak. We're going to be smoking cigars. We're going to be having some great conversation. Toby Sumter is going to be on hand. Matt Reynolds, Quinn Bible, a number of other great folks. So very excited for that. And stay tuned for more on the content. Uh, we'll be posting some of that behind the paywall as well on Patreon. So if you're not yet a Patreon supporter of this show, definitely would encourage you to check that out. We've had a number of great episodes, Pastor Dan Burkholder and myself, over on The Pugilist. The Pugilist is our Patreon-exclusive version of the Hard Men podcast. That's where it's the spiciest. And yes, it does actually get spicier than this main feed. So we definitely encourage you to check that out. We've done a couple of episodes lately. Number one, we did uh, five days ago, we had the uh, what was the fruit of the young, restless and reform movement. That was a great conversation. Before that, uh, we were encouraging Ali Beth Stuckey to pump the brakes. Uh, we engaged with one of her recent episodes. Of course, uh, Ali does a lot of great work, uh, but we just have a disagreement. Uh, she's a complementarian. We're uh, into patriarchy. And, um, you know, she said she could preach better than most men in America. And we would say, actually, no, because you're a woman, you're not fitted in your nature to do that. You can communicate, but you can't preach. And so we're going to jump into that in the Pugilist, the Patreon exclusive episodes. So definitely encourage you again to sign up today for as little as $5 a month. If you sign up at the $10 a month tier, you can get a free Hardman podcast coffee cup sent to your doorstep. So join now with the $10 a month tier. Without further ado, now we jump into the conversation with Jeremy Stolnicker from The Situation Report. Well, welcome to this episode of The Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, and joined today by Jeremy Stolnicker. Jeremy, thanks for joining me for this episode. Appreciate it, Eric. Good to connect again. Uh, Jeremy, one of the things that uh, I've been interested with your story, obviously we'll talk about this a little bit. You've got a couple of podcasts, but you've got a, a number of things in your bio, including pastor and USMC how do those things connect, and and how did you uh, get to the point where you're doing both of those things? Yeah, well, the first mistake I made was was deciding God did not want me in ministry, so he uh, he put me in ministry. It's funny, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was actually a pastor, started a church here in Southern California. I, I always put this kind of disclaimer: I never was angry at God or running from God or whatever. But watching my parents start a church and everything that's involved in that. I knew very early on that was not my calling, right? Like, I, that is not what I want to do with my life. And uh, talked to my dad when I was about 14 years old uh, about doing something other than ministry. He said, do whatever God wants you to do. That's the right answer from a parent. I said, well, I think God wants me to enlist in the Marine Corps. He's like, God does not want you to enlist in the Marine Corps. That's the <laughs> yeah. last thing God wants. But he was supportive of you know me pursuing what I believed was God's will. And long story brought me to the point where I, I went to college. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. 
served for eight years, uh, four reserve and four active duty years. My active duty time was, uh, was, was awesome. I loved it. I was with 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, and Infantry Battalion out of Camp Pendleton. And our last deployment was to Iraq. It was actually to Kuwait in uh, January 2003. We were part of the initial invasion into Iraq. Um, our battalion was the battalion that hit Baghdad on April 10th. Uh, crazy story. I could tell that story as well. But in, in all of that, one of the interesting things that happened, and, and again, I wasn't running from God during that time in my life, I would just say that my relationship with God was not that important to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I was a Christian and I was happy about that, but that was kind of the extent of it. But I was married. My wife and I were married in college. So we've been married for a couple of years. We had um, one child at the time. We have four now, but we had uh, a daughter at the time. And, and the one thing I knew was that I was going to be gone a lot and they needed to be in church. And we started to attend a great church. It was just getting started. And it was crazy because I had been a part of a church plant and grown up in that. That was the world I grew up in. But getting back to that, it was so exciting. People were accepting Christ. Things were happening. And in that time, God really used that to to turn my heart you know, back toward ministry or toward ministry. So even before we went to Kuwait, I had uh, been hired on at the church. It was kind of pending coming home and getting out of the Marine Corps, but had put in my paperwork to get out. We weren't supposed to end up in Iraq, but that's where we ended up. So literally, Iraq came home a month later. I was out of the Marine Corps and and on a church staff. So um, pretty crazy, crazy time as you can imagine. Crazy transition. Uh, did not do well the first year home, but eventually, uh, again, God worked through some some people, some some men, some folks in my life, and uh, that would lead to me pastoring a church for seven years. So I did that up in the Bay Area. Great time, hard time. Uh, wouldn't change anything about it. And then kind of that took me to where I am today and brought those two things together. So yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, so the simple answer to your question, God did all that. I, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Yes. No, that's exactly right. And sometimes that's just the way it works. Uh, yeah. I want to ask you, you mentioned uh, Baghdad. I, I do want to ask you just a little bit more about that. Yeah. I'm sure that's an experience that shaped you as a man in, the, in that early part of your life. Yeah. Uh, I guess just walk me through it. What was going on? Yeah, so when when we deployed to Kuwait, we deployed with 1st Marine Division, so 30,000 Marines, uh, the Army, 3rd uh, Infantry Division was there. Uh, so a lot was happening, obviously, but it, it's funny, you know, looking back now over whatever it's been, 20 years, 21 years, what was there wasn't there when we got there. We landed in Kuwait. We were driven out into the middle of the desert in Kuwait and kicked off the bus, and that's where we were. There was nothing there. There was no infrastructure, uh, and this was in January of 2003, and our official mission was to build up a camp, build up a base, and to put a screen line on the border. You know, there, were a lot, there was a lot politically happening, and so whether or not we were going to go into Iraq still, that question hadn't been answered, but on March 19th, so you know, a month and a half after we got there or whatever, um, we breached the berm and we were the first infantry battalion into the country. Uh, first KIA of the war, Lieutenant Shane Childers was one of our lieutenants. Mm. And from there made our way to Baghdad. A lot happened in between there, but uh, our final fight was in Baghdad uh, on April 10th. We came into the city. Uh, so people that are my age remember a lot of this, but if you have seen or whatever the the video 
of the army in Baghdad pulling down the statues of Saddam. That's a pretty famous picture, and the video is pretty famous. That happened on April 9th. So the army swung in on April 9th, kind of from the bottom, from you know south to north. And then we were going to come in the next night. They had resistance, but little resistance. They secured the airport and some of those things on the south side of the city. Um, so we were supposed to swing around to the top. So coming, you know, basically from north to south and getting to the Al-Azamaya Palace, which was the large palace compound on the Tigris River. What happened, though, and what we found out was on the 9th, when the army came in, all those fighters pushed across the river into the northern part of the city. And when we came in about midnight on uh, April 10th, we were ambushed, spent about uh, seven hours getting to the palace. It's a city, Baghdad is the size of Los Angeles, right? So it's huge. There are buildings everywhere. We were moving about 1,100 Marines to try to get to this objective. Crazy, crazy situation. We had, um, I think the official number was 101 or 104 um, casualties. Most of those were wounded in action, not killed in action, but fought our way to the palace, spent another several hours fighting. Yeah, crazy, crazy time. A lot of stuff happened. An A-10 came in and cleared out a building for us, which was uh, a story I, I love to tell because it was just an amazing time. But when the shooting ended, it, that for us was the end of it. And at that time, everyone thought the war was over. That was the final objective. That was the final battle. We retrograded back, uh, eventually came home. And as everyone knows, the war did not end, but uh, definitely shaped the way that I say the way I look at the world, the way I process a lot of things and understand things, how I view manhood for sure, (laughs) how I view doing hard things and what that means and why it's important, who's capable of doing hard things. I was a, I was a first lieutenant at the time. I was I would be promoted to captain right before I got out. Uh, But I was like 26 years old. And a lot of the Marines that I was with were, you know, Marines in my platoon had just turned 18, 19. Um, I don't know what the, you know, the average age was, but it was not much over 20 if it was over 20. Uh, Young young men, yeah, just just doing stuff, right, in the most – uh, aggressive environment in the world and they did it well. And then we came home and it, yeah, changes the way you look at, look at things. I have a 21 year old son who's getting ready to graduate from the police Academy. And I, I look at him and I think, man, like when you, when I was your age, oh, we yeah. were doing some crazy stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, it changed a lot for me. And, and even uh, I think, you know, I could talk a lot about this, but how I view the sovereignty of God, there was a moment in, mm-hmm. in, uh, the, the move up to Baghdad, we had a major firefight over this bridge. Uh, that's where I have a podcast called March or Die. That's where the phrase came from was over the, this, this firefight. And we got through it. And, and as someone who grew up in a Christian home and grew up in a pastor's home and around, you know, all of that my whole life, I had never really thought about the sovereignty of God. But when you're in an environment like that, you realize that you are not in control, <laughs> that God is in control and that your responsibility is to do what you can do. And that's what you're responsible for. And then trust God for the rest of it. So, yeah, definitely impacted my life in, in, I mean, so many ways. Um, But, yeah, Yeah, interesting time. time. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the march or die. Yeah. Uh, I know with that podcast, one of the things you talk about is answering this question, how do I move forward when my world is falling apart? Uh, I guess if you would tell me a little bit more about that experience. Was it like march or die? Was that like a command given or how did that come about? Yeah. So I won't tell the whole story, but 
when I checked in as a second lieutenant to, um, it was Charlie Company 1-5 at the time, so I had a rifle platoon, had 40 Marines. Um, we had a motto, and the motto was March or Die, and it was on the back of T-shirts. Like in the Marine Corps, every unit has a motto. It doesn't matter what you do, there's a motto, and there's probably a you know, skull and crossbones like associated with it. But it was March or Die, and it was one of those like, this is how you think about everything, right? It's you march or you stay where you are and die, that's it. When we were in the move up to Baghdad, we were given the mission to secure this bridge. And again, I won't tell the whole story, but I was navigating for our battalion. So I was a second vehicle back. We hit this bridge that was supposed to be unguarded. Uh, there was a company-sized element of enemy soldiers, but they were in a machine gun position that engaged us as we got to the bridge. We dealt with that. We had mortar rounds falling on top of us. Eventually, I would move our platoon, eight of our vehicles, not all of them, but eight of our vehicles up on top of the bridge uh, just to get out of the kill zone of the mortars. And, and what I did inadvertently in the move was put us right in the middle of the kill zone. We had an anti-aircraft gun spinning our direction. We had the mortars falling around us, exploding around us. and and you think the weirdest things, right? Like when, <laughs> why at a moment like that, I'd have this thought, I don't know. But the thought I had was that like march or die, like you stay here and die or you get off the kill zone, you, you get out of here. And we moved out of that. We dealt with the enemy is it, it a crazy, crazy time. I've told the story hundreds of times. That's the impact it's had on me. Um, but for me, it's, it's, it, that is the picture of life death is not always the physical kind of death, right? There are so many people who are breathing, going to jobs, uh, mm. filling their role in the family, but they're spiritually, emotionally, relationally dead. They're not making any progress. They've let whatever resistance has come into their life keep them from moving forward, and they know it. You make a decision to die. It, it's not something that happens to you. It's not circumstantial. You make a decision to die when you make the decision to stop moving forward. And and March is great for me because it doesn't mean I know all of the answers or know exactly where I'm going to end up. It means I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward because that's what I've been called to do. Mm. So for me, that story and and just kind of that picture has become, I don't know if you can have a motto for life, right? But for me, that's it. It's It's not perfection. It's not hitting all the targets every time. It's it's none of that. It's it's getting up every day and saying, I'm going to take the next step. And what God has set in front of me, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I'm going to trust him for the rest of it. And so it's been hugely powerful in my life. And it's been a great, I think, word picture and story for others to just to get a hold of, because that's what life is about. Oh yeah, big time. It, it, it's something too, I think that uh, every military biography you read um, in stories like this, it really comes down to a lot of a lot of people think the exciting battles, right? That's what it's all yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, but recently, even reading like Stonewall Jackson's biography, so much of his military career is like sitting around, yeah. marching, yeah. going through miserable conditions, yeah. um, trying to trying to keep warm when you have no jackets and yeah. you're wet. Yeah. But but and then you have to apply this. How do I keep moving forward? Yeah. And it could be in the battle. It could also be just miserable conditions. But I want to ask you, why do you think that resonates so well? Uh, particularly with men, as you you know, you take that lesson, you're applying it uh, in the civilian world. Why does it resonate? If we're honest, all of us understand that, and it, this is the if we're honest part. But if we're honest, we all understand we should be doing something we're not. Mm. I, I've I've never personally talked to someone that says, "Yes, in all honesty, I am doing everything God has called me to do. 
I, I, I get up every day and I'm the husband I'm supposed to be and the father I'm supposed to be and the church member I'm supposed to be and the right. whatever. We, we all know that. And if you, if you drill down on that, there are reasons. And I'm, I'm good at beating up on men. I'm good at beating up on myself and saying, you just need to do more and try harder and whatever. But, but there are reasons and, and often they're real reasons. And it can be a series of events that have just pushed us to the place where we say, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. But most men, most people who are honest understand, if I could get up and just take the next step, get past this thing, there's more for me to do. There's more that God wants me to do, more that I've been called to. And I think it resonates because when we, we pull back that curtain and acknowledge that all of us have this struggle, Success doesn't come to people who don't struggle. We all struggle. We all go through the same, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. I'm not sure this marriage thing is is working out the way I thought I was going to work out, or these kids are worth investing my time in, or uh, whatever. We all deal yeah. with that. And if we can just put that on the table, then we can all go, okay, we all have obstacles. We all have difficulties. We all have traumas in our past. We all have stuff. What's the difference between the one who's successful and the one who's not? The one who's successful takes the next step. It's not more complicated than that. And we complicate it so much. Now, there are a thousand things attached to that. But, but fundamentally, it's about taking the next step. Mm. And, and I, I think it resonates because we can all connect to that like, oh, well, yeah, I can, I can do that. I can take the next step. So it, it's, been, it's been a powerful tool, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the other things you mentioned is kind of the adjustment from being in Iraq to coming back, obviously yep. pastoring. I, I'm curious in what ways it was helpful, the military experience in ministry, and then in what ways was what made it so difficult to adjust? I'll start with the helpful part. Certainly doing hard things, learning how to do hard things, understanding structure, uh, understanding even order. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people in positions of authority and there are others who, who fall in line and order. All of that has been very, very helpful in my life. I struggled tremendously. A lot of people do struggle coming out of the military in part with, with trauma and how the, the body and the mind and the emotions deal with trauma. Uh, I think more than anything, what I struggled with though, leaving the Marine Corps and coming into a church environment was, <clears throat> and it sounds cliche or trite, but, but was just a loss of identity. Mm. When I was 14 and I talked to my dad, I, I, I tell that story and I, I don't I don't do a good job of emphasizing like what a significant moment that was in my life. I was scared to have that conversation with my dad, not because he put that on me, ministry or whatever, but I just, I knew how important it was to him and I understood what that meant. And so I'm a 14 year old kid. I'm driving in the car with my dad or riding in the car with my dad and, and, and having that conversation. I I still remember like how nervous I was to bring that up. Right. And he was great. And of course he would have been, and he helped me through that. But from that moment forward, my whole life was pointed at being a United States Marine. Um, I read books about the heroes of World War II and watched everything I could and read everything I could. And if I could go to an air show, I would do it. I mean, my whole life was wrapped up in that and finding meaning and value in that. I went to college because my parents said, you can do what you want to, but you have to go to college first. So that's what I did. Um, but everything was about becoming a Marine. Then I was. I was able to get into the infantry, which is what I wanted to do as a Marine officer, leading Marines uh, in the infantry. And then combat, which 
it, it kind of came and then it went. It wasn't supposed to happen for us. We were going somewhere else. We ended up in Kuwait. We breached hmm. the berm into Iraq. This was significant for me personally. This was significant for the country, the world, historically. Everything in my life had been driving to this one point. I was doing what I had always wanted to do. And then literally 30 days after doing that, I'm, I'm on a church staff. I was really frustrated. <laughs> that frustration became anger. Working with volunteers in a church setting is difficult anyhow. And, and I, went from, I went from, we're, we're in firefights and people are trying to kill us. And you know we know how to deal with this and we're going to do what we're told to like trying to get people to clean the bathrooms on Saturday night for church, you know, and then dealing with, with, with church staff members and just, just all of it. It, it was, it was like I had been trans transported to like a different world and I didn't know how to function in that world. And then no one cared what I had done in the Marine Corps when I, <laughs> so I had been home for a while, seven months after our battalion came back to the United States, it deployed again. So I was out but a lot of the Marines that I deployed with to Iraq the first time went back. First Battle of Fallujah happened. They were a part of that. I remember sitting in a staff meeting, and I had just heard about some of the Marines that I served with that had been killed in the, in the First Battle of Fallujah. This thing was unfolding. All this stuff was happening. And like it was having a real impact on me, and I didn't have anyone to talk to about it, right? And I remember in a staff meeting just kind of bringing that up. Like, I heard this this morning and whatever, and everybody listened, and it was like, you're done. All right, let's move on to planning for whatever was coming up. You know, it, it, and and it just, I just had a really hard time dealing with that. So I was unkind to people on the staff. I was completely obnoxious in every staff meeting we had. I, I was a jerk to my wife. I, I, I always say this because it's true that the fact that she stayed with me through that was a testimony, testament to the grace of God and her love for God, not for me but her love for mm. God. And um, man, what a terrible, terrible time to the point that 11 months after getting that job, uh, my pastor called me to his office. Said, I love you. I love your family, but this is just not working. I don't know what the problem is. This is 2003. No one was talking about any of this, right? He just knew I was, I was being a complete ass to everybody in my life. And he said, you've, you've either got to figure this out or go somewhere else. And that was the first time I had been confronted with that. Then just a whole bunch of conversations with my wife, with my dad, with others who cared about me. And I started to take responsibility for myself and was able to finally move forward. But it took us a long time. And a lot of that was just identity and confusion and anger and frustration and pride and all of those things. And then some trauma as well. But um, it was a crazy transition for sure. But on the other side of all of that, you know, several years later, the benefit, the lessons learned, God redeeming that story have been, you know, that's why I do what I do today. As a huge proponent of the carnivore diet, I quickly learned how great eggs are for you, especially when you slonk them 8 to 12 at a time. But whether you drink them raw or scramble them with some sausage, they're good for your heart and mind and they help you build a ton of muscle pretty quickly. My preferred source for eggs is from my own backyard, and I've loved getting my birds from Ideal Poultry. Ideal Poultry is the number one backyard poultry supplier in the country, and they're also wonderful people. Ideal is owned and operated by a solid Christian family 
who is worthy of your patronage if you are looking for some fantastic birds. So visit Ideal Poultry today at idealpoultry.com. Again, that's idealpoultry.com. You can also check the link in the show notes. Yeah, big time. One of the questions I have, uh, you hear a lot about this, some in sports, but really more so military, the the connection, the brotherhood, the sense of purpose and mission. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've known a lot of guys even get back into defense contract work. And then, yep. and then the, the problem is, as with everything, just like being an athlete, your clock runs out, right? Your body can't do yep. it forever. Most, most guys' marriages can't take it forever. Um, so you're caught in this limbo where you're like, I really want to be over there doing this thing that a lot of people don't understand why I would want to be there with my brothers. Uh, but I also know I need to be here. Yeah. So I guess uh, for guys who are working through that or people maybe who don't understand it, what is that dynamic like uh, in terms of brotherhood, having to move yeah. away from that into everyday life? Well, it's the reason that community is, is so important. And I think that word community has, has been watered down and, and made to be something is probably not in the, in, in the church world, but, but having people in your life that you have shared values with that you mm-hmm. can share then with trust and transparency, what you're dealing with and what you're trying to process through and what's happening in your life. And they'll speak truth into your life in the military. You, you have that. And it's, it's the weirdest thing, but it's a shared suffering. It's a common history. It's a common training. It's a common mission and a common goal. It's amazing when something horrible happens in a combat environment and it happens when people die or, you know, whatever happens, you're surrounded with people that almost normalize that with you because Mm -hmm. they were all there. They get it. You talk about it. You deal with it. And you probably don't deal with it in the most healthy way, but you deal with it and you move on. When you separate out of that, you have lost the community where you share your feelings or what you're dealing with, what you're struggling through, where you understand the world in the same way, you see things in the same way, and you come into a family or you come into a church or you come into a community that does not see the world the way that you see the world. Mm. And so, again, it's almost like you've been transported to a different country or transported to a different a uh, completely different environment where you just don't understand the world the way they do. They don't understand it the way you do. And it creates a lot of friction and a lot of hurt. Add to that, you find your identity in that job. So not only have you just been separated from that community where you have shared history and uh, shared training and shared goal and common purpose and all those things, but your identity is wrapped up in that. So mm-hmm. now you've not only found yourself in an environment where it's hard to understand what they do and they don't understand you, but you've been torn away from who you are. You have no idea who you are, who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. You put those two things together and it becomes very, very hopeless. That's why guys run back to, uh, not, not in every case, but often run back to contracting and things like that because yeah. um, I can go be around people I understand. They understand me. I can be who I am. I can live out what I believe is my identity. And I find great comfort in that. You see this all the time, even in the military, where guys are constantly deploying and they'll volunteer for another deployment because that makes sense. They know those people. They understand where they fit. That's their identity. And and here, 
they either find a new identity or they are part of the few in the military <laughs> who understand their identity is not that job and they're able to transition from one role and one place in the world to another. Uh, very, very difficult. And that's one of the reasons that our program works the way it does because it's taught by people who have the military background. All of the attendees are um, also coming from that background as well. So we're able to speak the same language and share some of that history and, and hopefully point to a new purpose. Yeah, absolutely. One of, one of the things that you guys deal with is PTSD, uh, guys yeah. making the transition. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, in military communities, uh, we get phone calls a lot too about suicide, stuff like that. Um, so when you're dealing with these guys by way of encouragement, what, what do you say to them? What's helpful? Uh, yeah. what sorts of things do they need to be addressing in their lives? I, I do think identity is a big one. It, it, it's, this is what I struggled with was, was coming out. I, and, and I, I, let me back up. <laughs> I was unique in, in a sense. Um, I, I don't drink. I didn't then no drugs, no alcohol, no really illicit behaviors. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a sinner and I'm broken, but, but I wasn't connected to anything that had a hold on me, a substance or behaviors or other things. I was in a loving marriage. I was in a good church community. So when I struggled and when I fell, I was in the right place with the right people who could help me get back up and move forward. A lot of those coming out of the military they are struggling with identity. They're struggling with the loss of community. They're struggling with all of those things. And then they're medicating those feelings, those struggles with drugs and alcohol and illicit behaviors and the other stuff. And so it's this death spiral. Where we start as a program is not by addressing those things, but by addressing the fact that God, the creator, created us with purpose and design. And if he created us with purpose and design that didn't end when we left the military or when we had this marriage failure or when something else happened, he still has a plan for your life. And when you learn how to align your life to the life that God created you to live, the trauma, the habits, the, the stuff that has control over you right now, it doesn't have to have control over you because you're moving into what God created you to do and, and who he created you to be. And that's where we start. And from there, we can then address the other things. Okay, what is it that's keeping you from pursuing God's plan for your life? Drugs, alcohol, <laughs> how I treat my family, my lack of responsibility. We begin to treat those things or to deal with those issues. But the fundamental issue is you're not living the life you were created by a holy God to live. And if you'll start there, then the rest of it starts to come into focus and we can deal with the other things. I think often when we talk about treatment or therapy, we start on the wrong end. We're dealing with the symptoms, with the, the struggles, with the problems. This is why medication is so prevalent. We're starting there instead of dealing with the foundational issue, which is there is a real God who really created you, and you need to have a relationship with him that only comes through, through understanding who Jesus is and what he did for you. So we break all of that down and work from there and then begin to address the other issues. But the hope in that is <laughs> there is a God and he's bigger than this and he's bigger than your situation. He's bigger than you. He's sovereign. You're not. He's God. You're not. And that's wonderful news. That's not bad news. And because of that, there's hope outside of your situation and it's available to you. And, and getting through the layers of that can be difficult. But when we get a hold of that truth that, man, there really is something bigger than this 
bigger than what I've lost or how I feel or the decisions I've made, something bigger. God is the hope. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Uh, one of the questions I have too is I'm sure you work with a lot of different guys. Um, you, so it's a unique perspective, but uh, as you look at the culture and you look at men in America in general, yeah. I'm curious your take on that overall, uh, maybe even the last 10 years, where do you see men today versus where they've been? Uh, what are some of the main themes that you're seeing in, in the lives of men? Well, there's a, there's a lot in that question, obviously. Yeah. I've thought a lot about what it means to be a biblical man and, and and had this conversation with others and spent a lot of time thinking on it. I have two boys. I mentioned my son is 21. I have another son who's 13. So trying to raise men and trying to help them understand what they should do. I, I really believe, and I don't, I don't know who coined the phrase, but faith is taking God at his word and living your life according to it. I, I don't know who coined that phrase, but I think to be a, a biblical man, it's taking God at his word, living your life according to it, and then taking other people with you. <laughs> it's it's being a man of faith. That's one who trusts God, who lives their life according to what God has written, according to his word, and then bringing other people along with you. That requires being responsible for your own actions, being responsible to a holy God who does have a very specific plan for your life, who has outlined how he wants us to live in his word, and we don't have to like it, but but it's it, it's God's word, and we're committed to living that out, and then bringing other people along. Uh, I, I think that's what a man does. A man is someone who takes responsibility for themselves so that they can bring other people along. So when you look at the themes of society and culture right now, uh, it is a complete abdication of any responsibility for oneself and certainly for the people around them. And I don't think it just started in the last 10 years or 15 years. I think we have reached a place of critical mass, though, where uh, men largely have just decided it's it's easier to play video games and watch porn and uh, do the bare minimum to get by in their relationships and at work and whatever. It's a lot easier to do that than to take responsibility for themselves so that they can be a blessing to others and and lead others forward. And this is a tough one because I don't expect people who are unregenerate, who don't have a relationship with Christ to understand that. But what breaks my heart is seeing people in the church and churches and Christian men who who don't get it either um, and are unwilling to be responsible for themselves. So uh, culturally, you know, we're in a rough place. I think a lot of the gender confusion and the rest of that goes right back to that. I'm unwilling to be responsible for what God wants me to do and to serve others and carry them forward. There's a lot to that, but yeah, that's the message I try to communicate to the men in my life that I have the opportunity to speak to. Yeah, I, I'm curious too. Obviously, with sons, you know, you you have a vested interest in like them doing well, understanding, you know, yeah, how, how to create biblical men. Um, as you look at your, you know, your fathering and your own sons, what were some of the things that you tried to emphasize with them? It, you know, just in terms of rearing and like, how do yeah. I, how do I set these guys up well? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. I was just talking about this with my with my parents yesterday. My daughter just graduated from college. My son is a couple of weeks getting ready to graduate from. Uh, police academy. And then, so I've got a 23-year-old, a 21-year-old, and then a 15-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. So it's it's a weird time of life because I'm watching yeah. the older two kind of start to move on, but we've got these other ones we're still invested in. And 
and talking through what what made the difference. And as a parent, we we did a lot of things wrong. Uh, again, I spent a lot of my definitely early parenting years very angry and frustrated, apologizing to a lot <laughs> a lot of people a lot, including my kids. But one of the things I think we did right is we as parents, my wife and I, we had every meal together. Uh, not everyone probably, but 99% of our meals together. Yeah. We attended events together. We made decisions about our family that were about my kids' growth and not doing what other people would expect of us. This is a silly example, but I'm telling you, this has made a difference in my kids' lives. When they were like 10, 11 years old, my older kids, 10, 11 years old, I sat him down and said, look, you guys need to do something like athletic. We need to find something for you to do. But I am not going to spend every weekend for the rest of our lives running around to baseball games and doing all that stuff. I played baseball growing up. I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player, right? That was my goal. Yeah. I lived that life and it's just gotten worse. And now parents are selling out everything else to do that. So anyhow, I sat my kids down and I said, unless you guys are going to be professional athletes, we're not going to do that. And you don't have it any to be professional athletes. So we're not going that route, <laughs> but I want you to find something, right? So we found uh, jujitsu for my son. He's trained, you know, since then, since he was like 11 years old. Uh, my daughter's done different things over the years, but, but we wanted to put an emphasis on, we want to do something as a family. We want this to enrich you, to help you, but we're not going to have anything in our lives. that's going to pull us away from the spiritual impact, right? Like the spiritually what God wants you to do and to grow. We're not going to be out of church for this. We made a decision to homeschool when they were very, very young. And there are homeschoolers by conviction. Like, you know, this is the only way you should ever do it. There are others. We looked at all of the options and didn't want to give up control of what our kids were learning and, and the culture and the environment they were growing up in. And so we made a decision to homeschool them uh, through their schooling years. We, we just were very intentional, again, with a lot of craziness and a lot of stuff and not every decision was right, but we have been very intentional about creating space and time to speak truth into their lives. And that truth has always been based on the Bible and our understanding of what God's word means as these issues have come up. So it's not just me telling you what I think about this issue. It's what does the Bible say about this issue? And because we've been intentional about dinner times, and we've been intentional about family times, and we've been intentional about keeping our kids in our environment, we've been able to deal with those questions and those issues throughout. It's crazy because if you take that position with your kids, people in culture at large will tell you that you are shielding them or whatever. They'll never be productive citizens in the world. Um, my daughter just graduated with a business degree from a big university in, in California after spending some time doing some other things. My son's going to be a police officer. They've been very successful in culture at large while maintaining their Christian testimony, bringing people to church. <laughs> it's a fallacy to say you have to do it the other way, right? And you know, I'm going to send our kids to public school to be missionaries or whatever. Complete fallacy. We've done a lot of things wrong, but we fought hard to be intentional. And that was a really long answer to your question, but I, yeah, no, that's I, great. I've tried, I've tried to distill this down, right? Like I've tried to like, here are the 10 lessons for parents. <laughs> I can't do it because we've done so many things wrong. But yes. one thing we have constantly done is tried to fight to keep our kids in the right place. And sometimes mm -hmm. we made bad decisions in that regard, but it, it's always been about raising adults, not raising kids about preparing our kids to go out on their own. I want my kids to be my friends, but that's not my biggest goal. 
My goal is to prepare them to go live the life that God has called them to live. And with that in mind, we've made decisions, I think, that have been fruitful in that regard. Here at the Hard Men Podcast, you know I'm a huge supporter of men who value hard nose, hard work. Our country is literally built on the backs of men who have carried the weight of responsibility for their families and driven the economy forward. That's why I'm so excited to join forces with Max D Trailers, a Texas-based and family-owned company to bring you this episode. I'm proud to partner with Max D to see the vision of New Christendom established one small business at a time. Max D builds innovative, hardworking trailers for the builders, fixers, and growers of the world. The company proudly supports blue-collar haulers, men whose businesses depend on Max D trailers. You can follow their stories by checking out Max D Trailers on Instagram or by visiting the link in the show notes. Learn more about Max D Trailers by visiting maxdtrailers.com where you can check out the article, 10 Ways to Make Money with Your Trailer. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Uh, one of the other things that it makes me think of is uh, something we talk a lot about on this show, but helping guys think through, you know, what's a godly wife? What's a godly yeah, mother? Yeah. And I, I, you know, you think about your boys. I have three boys as well. I think about, man, I, I really couldn't do this uh, mm. without a godly wife and their yeah. mother. Yeah. And so one of the things that gets missed is we talk about how fathers shape sons yeah. uh, and daughters, but, but oh, yeah. think about sons, you know, it's like, I'm sure your wife played a pivotal role. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I wanted yeah. to just talk about like, why, why is it so important if we're going to raise men uh, who are biblical men? Yeah. We, we have to have biblical mothers. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my kids would be a mess without my wife. I can't imagine. I, I've, I've spent so many years trying to figure out what I'm doing. And again, with a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and a lot of issues that if my wife was not who she is and was not there to, to pray with the kids when I didn't want to be around the kids and to do those things. It's not her responsibility, but, but she did what moms do and she took up uh, for them and has loved them and has been mom to them. My kids wouldn't be where they are without that. Mm. It's, it's, it's really interesting when I was married, my wife and I met in college, but she, she'd grown up in a kind of pseudo Christian home Mm -hmm. in that they, they went to church, but that was about the extent of it. And she was not a Christian and she didn't become a Christian until we had been married for a couple of years. But she made a decision very early on. I'm going to live my life to the best of my ability, according to what God wants for me and raise my kids to do the exact same. And I would not recommend to anyone, um, marrying a woman who's not a Christian, (laughs) um, but understanding who my wife is now and the decisions that she made. And, and even when we met the qualities of uh, care and love, and she's tough. You know, we talk about a godly wife, and we talk about what what all of that means. And sometimes we get the idea, or maybe communicate the idea that a godly wife, a Christian wife. We talk about, you know, we use words like patriarchy, <laughs> all these things. People who don't don't understand, they think, well, like, like this is a beat down woman in a corner somewhere. My wife's yeah. the strongest person I know. Yeah. Um, she's just made a decision to submit to the roles that God has established, right? It's, and, and she's done it well, and she loves God. I said this in, earlier, she loves God more than she loves me. And, and, and that is the reason we've been able to continue as a couple and growing as a couple, and she's made the decisions she's made, and, and she's taught my kids that. She's taught my daughters that. Yeah, man, there, 
<laughs> if you think you're going to be the strong guy and you're you're not going to do it alone and you weren't intended to yeah. do it alone. I mean, that's God's design, right? And so, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely essential. Yeah, that, that's great. I was thinking about it too, just the, uh, you know, we, we, we do talk about patriarchy and people are like, oh, so you want weak women. And I'm like, no, we want yeah. the mothers of Sparta. Right. Like right, you don't right. understand what we're trying <laughs> yeah. to accomplish. Uh, requires really great ladies. And, and so yeah. we've been blessed to have them in our camp. You know, it's been wonderful. My, uh, uh, I'll tell you a quick story of that. Yeah. My, my son, I told you, he trains jujitsu and uh, he has an elbow problem because he was in a tournament and he should have submitted to an arm bar, which is, this is kind of like outside of what we're talking about here, yes. but he didn't. And, uh, and he ended up winning that tournament and he still struggles with his elbow. And <laughs> when it was over, he came up to, to me and his mom who was standing there and he said to her, uh, I was going to tap, but I knew you would be mad at me if I gave up <laughs> because she told them before he went out there, you better win. Right. Like, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. It's, yes. it's strong women who understand. And, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. That's the patriarchy for anyone who's, who's, uh, who's concerned. Oh yeah. Well, and I, I think just what it takes to be a boy mom. I know several times we've been, you know, sports watching the boys play in the driveway basketball. I can remember yeah. one time uh, my youngest falls and he scrapes his knee. And my oldest says to him, oh, do we need to call the ambulance? And he's like actually hit the deck pretty hard. <laughs> right. And then my youngest looks at my wife and he says, he's like, they're making fun of me. And she's like, well, I guess you better get up. <laughs> I was just thinking like, yeah, mom right. loves you. And there's definitely a nurturing yeah. and care, but uh, you're yeah. not going to get coddled here. That's right. not going to happen. Right. Yeah, I, I, I love it too. I was thinking about uh, also as young men, you think about yourself as a young man. In retrospect, looking back, you know, say top three lessons, something like this that you would say to yourself, what kind of advice would you give yourself in your early twenties? I, I can think of a few things. Number one, the grace of God is, is it, it just so necessary for anything. Like yeah. all of us, yeah. we look at our story and we're like, thank yeah. God that he's sovereign yeah. and then he's merciful to us. Yes. Uh, but outside of that, what, what would you say to yourself if you, if you could give advice uh, at that season in your life? It, I, I think when we, we talk like this, it's always about our biggest struggles when we were younger that we look back to. I was very, very uh, proud, very arrogant. <laughs> and the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, and that's a truth. But it all, also makes us unbearable to a lot of other people. And yes. I was ex extremely proud and extremely obnoxious to my wife, to other important people in my life. And that would be one of the major lessons I would try to teach my younger self is like, get over yourself. Um, you're, you're not, you're not as smart or talented as you think you are. You need to be humble. Um, the grace lesson certainly is extending grace to other people as a reflection of the grace God has extended to me. That's a, a huge lesson. I wrote about that recently. In fact, that's a, that's a huge lesson that I've been trying to learn throughout my life. I have a very hard time being gracious to other people. Uh, when, uh, you know, my entire, um, understanding of God is, is wrapped up in his, his grace as God for me. So that's a, that's a big one as well. Being kind to people, uh, just be kind to people. I, I've talked to my kids about this recently, but you have no idea what people are dealing with, what they have dealt with, what mm. they're experiencing. And, and I tend to look at people as though, you know, they have a problem. They are the problem. I don't know what's going on with them, but, but people are struggling so much and, and we have you know, the ability to be an encouragement and help to people. So, I mean, if it was top three, deal with the pride issue, certainly extend grace. Um, 
understand that everyone in your life is going through something. Be kind to people and, and you know, be generous to people. I, I was that guy when I was younger who would fight about anything. I mean, I, I <laughs> this is why a lot of like social media drives me nuts because people are just screaming at each other all the time. Um, and there's, a, there's yeah. a time and a place for that. But um, careful, uh, reasoned, truthful, <laughs> grace-filled uh, help for people is what people really need. And, and it's taken me a long, long time to understand that. Yeah, yeah, so important. Uh, one of the other questions I have, uh, I'm just always curious. What, the first thing I do when I go into people's homes is I look at their bookshelf, if they oh, have yeah. one, yeah. and I want to see what they're reading. And if it's, yeah. uh, you know, if I go to Jeremy's house and he's, Reading Girl, Wash Your Face. I'm like, I don't know, Jeremy, we need to talk. I don't really tell you. Uh, but if yeah. you look at books that have just really impacted you, uh, what, what would be on your list? Oh, man, there's so many books. I'm always reading something that uh, I feel like has impacted me. What is the biggest one? I, my problem is whatever I'm reading right now tends to be the one that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's had the biggest impact on me. Have you um, ever read Gates of Fire? Oh, yeah. I read Gates okay. of Fire a long, long time ago. I Great so. book. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was very disappointed with the movie. I watched about six minutes of the movie because uh, of that movie 300 because I thought it was the same story and it wasn't. So I uh, stopped watching it. I've never finished the movie. Actually, I've tried to watch it twice. And yeah. I was like, after reading the book, I just I just couldn't. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. I, uh, I mean, there have been a lot of books. I, I think biographies have been very powerful in my life. Historical biographies have been very powerful in my life. And learning the lessons of others who have gone before me. I try to read what people I trust recommend. You asked me this question. I'm, I'm talking like I don't read books. I have a whole list. I keep a list of books. I can't think of any off the top of my head. The book I'm reading right now is a book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. It talks about trauma and how our bodies respond to it. That's been been really interesting. I'm reading, interesting. Just, just finished John Maxwell's book on communication. It's his new book on uh, communication which regardless of what you think about John Maxwell, he's a great communicator. And that book has been, has been great. I didn't even realize he was still producing content. Honestly, he's been around yeah, forever. He, he's, he's old, but he's still putting it out there. G. Oswald Sanders, his book on discipline has been very helpful to me in the past, man. Th- there's a lot of books. I'll send you a whole list yes, <laughs> later on, absolutely. but yeah, I love, uh, I, I, I love having books recommended to me because I know they've been impactful in other people's lives, but I focus on um, typically biographies and sometimes Christian biographies, but a lot of them have been just just men and women who have done stuff and we can learn from their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the other things I want to point people to is uh, your podcast, Situation Report. Uh, One of the unique things about the show is that you guys get to talk to a lot of different people. I know you've had like Steve Dace on there and uh, George Grant, Ben Merkel's been on there. As you think back on the content and all the unique conversations, I guess, what is it that stands out about the show? If you're giving people an elevator pitch and saying like, Hey, you you should listen to this. Uh, There's a lot on there that I think people would be interested in. Yeah. Uh, So we have a tagline and the goal of the show is in the tagline. It's giving you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Culture is consistently changing and we know that, but what we need is information and we need perspectives that can help us navigate that culture. Um, you were a guest on the show. We've had a lot of, of, of great guests on the show. And I try to have people on the show who can give us maybe a unique perspective or cut through a lot of the noise. And, and there's so mm-hmm. much noise in our culture. 
It's hard to know what to do next. It's hard to know how to navigate this as a Christian, but just as a human, (laughs) as a parent. So my goal is always to have people on who can um, can talk about this. And and uh, sometimes the people that we have on are not necessarily Christians or people of faith, but they're people who are culturally involved, who are dealing with you know one issue or another that can give us the right perspective on it. And I, I just had some fascinating conversations from people recently, recently in the last couple of years, who would have been identified as left, maybe even far left in the past, but they've seen what's happened in our culture and have come to the conclusion something needs to change, something different needs to happen here. And so they're, they're working through that and talking through that. But my favorite kind of conversations are those with people that understand the biblical perspective on whatever issue we're dealing with. And so uh, we try to deal with, we've dealt a lot with gender, the, the gender issues, um, certainly um, abortion and, you know, those issues, but parenting and where do we send our kids to school and why, and how do we deal with that? Um, churches talking a lot about church, church is very important to me, but, um, you know, what, what does church mean and, and why has the church allowed some of these things to happen? So dealing with a lot of these issues, it's been, um, very edifying for me. Um, the tone has changed over the years. It's, it's, it's about three years old. Um, I've gone from almost all political to very little political um, (laughs) because I just got tired of just talking about the political all of the time and and really trying to understand, all right, like, what do we do with that? I mean, I get it. (laughs) What do we do with that, right? Um, So this AI thing, this is a big thing. What do we do with that as Christians? How do we view that? Um, How do we view manhood from a biblical perspective? How do we, you know, and so um, it's been it's been really helpful to me just to have those conversations, but really trying to view culture through a biblical lens and understand what we should do next. Yeah, and I think it's really helpful too, Jeremy, because it, you, you've got a lot of people who have a lot of good things to say. It's kind of like Jordan Peterson, but you got like yeah. the Jocko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole range of people kind of in that like, I'm really tough because I was in the military. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of <laughs> yes. helpful, I found, just to have like a sifting, you know, some guidance through yeah. that territory and... Um, it, it's been cool too, to see guys like John Lovell and, uh, warrior poet and guys be, I think more outspokenly Christian in, yeah. in that space. I see more of that. Um, it seemed like in the past there was, you know, maybe we're afraid of the ESG boards too. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But, uh, it, it, it seems like more people are figuring out that you have to speak up. Well, it's an interesting world, right? I think for a long time we could just kind of fly under the radar and say, Christian-y things or yeah. conservative things. And that was fine. And, and that would pass for most. But I, I mean, honestly, with, with COVID and now all the gender stuff and all that, you have to choose a side. And, and, and I think that's where a lot of these people who have operated and you know, profited in the middle <laughs> have tried to look and go, oh, well, which side? Um, thankfully, a lot of them have, even interestingly, people who would say, I, I'm not necessarily a person of faith, or I don't, I don't understand all of this, but they're doing it right and, and have given a voice to, to a lot of folks who do speak truth. So yeah, it's been an interesting, sifting is a great word, an interesting time of, of watching that happen. I have always struggled with kind of the loud type A military voices because like do harder stuff, work harder, yeah. get up earlier. I understand there's value in that, but it's very superficial if it's not built on a foundation of Christ. And, and that's where I've struggled with it. Right. And so we're seeing a lot of that change, which has been, which has been really good. Yeah. I I think there's a big part of that too. It's like the 4am crowd. Um, I take, (laughs) 
every day I take an Instagram reel of the sweat on the floor. Yes. Um, yes. Which, you know, great workout, uh, push your yeah. body, but yeah, as well, like so much of biblical masculinity, like joyfully taking responsibility, which is a yeah. lot of sucky things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, how, how to tend to your marriage, that sort of stuff. Uh, very, very important. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I, I, I do think a lot of guys are finally getting a hold of that, which is great. Um, and there's a place to motivate others by what you do. I'm, I'm not against any of that, but if, if you go down far enough in your life and you don't hit a foundation of faith in Christ, <laughs> then, then it doesn't matter. And so if you're doing all those other things, there, there better be a place where you're also talking about, yeah, responsibility and biblical clarity and understanding you know, who God is and why that matters. It has to be both. It can't just be one or the other. Well, it, I guess it could just be the, the understanding God, but it certainly cannot just be the do hard things, work harder. Uh, you're just going to die tired, I think, is probably what's going to happen if, if you don't understand it all. Yes, yeah, very true. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. We, of course, will include links uh, to your website. People can find the podcast. Uh, any other places where people can follow along with what you're doing? Probably the easiest place is just to use my name, Jeremy Stalnicker, uh, jeremystalnicker.com. And that links out to everything else I'm involved in, the podcast. I have a blog there, um, socials, Mighty Oaks Foundation, YouTube channel, all that's there. So jeremystalnicker.com. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jeremy. And uh, we will uh, catch you again, hopefully soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. And special shout out to our Patreon supporters. If you're not yet a Patreon supporter, you can join today for as little as $5 a month. And that definitely helps keep this work going. We are glad to partner with you for content that builds a new Christendom and reclaims biblical masculinity at the same time. You can check the show notes for the link to become a Patreon supporter of the Hard Men podcast today. Stay frosty. Fight the good fight. Act like men. Thank you.